Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hey, everybody. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of our podcast. We are very happy to have you with us, as usual. Of course. You know how we like to tell little stories at the beginning of our episodes, and I had one from this past weekend. I took the kids on a camping trip while Wendy was at home having a little alone time. I didn't even really get a report. How was your alone time? It was good. Thanks for asking. (laughs) It was good at home. I just, you know, I listened to some music I like while I did some tasks, and then I actually went and spent time with your mother and your sister, which was a beautiful... Uh, I did hear that part. Yeah. Well, I had a mishap. We we told some misadventures in the past. Yeah. This this has been the summer of some strange misadventures. And I'll just say this camping trip was meant to replace the one that that didn't happen. Right, and we talked about that one too. You and I went on when we went a backpacking right. trip because the boys had some foot injuries. Right. Their feet are healed now, yeah. so I took the kids out into the woods and I totally misread the map. I thought we had about a five-mile hike to get to our campsite, which Mm -hmm. is a familiar campsite we've been to before from the other direction of the trail. Uh We had never entered the trail from this end. You dropped us off at the far end of the trail. Right, and you were planning on a nice long day of hiking. Yeah, and (laughs) I heard Isaac, he's our 12-year-old, he was in the front of the pack. Uh Uh-huh. And he said, Papa, we're here. And I said, what do you mean we're here? We had only been hiking for about a half an hour. Oh, no. I said to him, what do you mean we're here? And he said, we're at the campsite. I said, it's a five-mile hike. He says, no, it's not. We're here. And then I turned the corner, came down. And sure enough, there was the campsite. And I pulled out the map. And I realized I had totally misread oh, this map. I'm so sorry. In a big way. Uh, which changed our day. Obviously, we were planning on a long day of hiking, which we enjoyed doing. And we decided instead, we l- we looked at the map, and I realized, this is along the Susquehanna River here in Pennsylvania, and there is a huge cliff on the Susquehanna River that I found as a teenager. 30 years ago, actually, this summer, it was the summer of 1989, I first found this spot. It's about a, well, there's different levels. There's about a a 30-foot jump, a 50-foot jump, and then there's a 60-foot jump into the Susquehanna River. And our three oldest kids, John, Paul, Thomas, and Beth, and I hiked to this cliff. Uh, my father stayed, he was on the trip with us, and he stayed back with Isaac and Grace, who didn't want to do any extra hiking. But the three older kids and I found this cliff that I hadn't jumped off for 30 years. And we got to the 50-foot spot, and I realized I'm 50 years old, and uh, I'm, not, I'm not doing this. <laughs> this is past me. I used to love it. Not uh-huh. doing it anymore. Not going to do it. <laughs> but the other kids leapt. Yeah. And it was, it was actually quite fun for me to see the thrill that they got out of it. Thomas, our 19-year-old, was crazy enough to go up to the 60-foot level yeah. and leap from there. John Paul and Beth jumped from the 50-foot, and then I climbed down to the 30-foot uh-huh. and jumped with my cell phone in my pocket. Oh, dear. So I've been without a cell phone for the last 
couple days, which has been a little frustrating and also a little refreshing. Mm-hmm. I haven't been able to keep up with all my correspondence, but that's kind of refreshing. <laughs> little extended retreat. You it know, has you, you been. brought a little bit of that time away home with you. I did. How about that? Yeah. So, moral of the story. Don't jump in a river with your cell phone in your pocket. Yeah. <laughs> and don't necessarily trust your son who says, oh, yeah, I've seen videos of people on YouTube who, uh, yeah, they go swimming with their iPhone 7 because it's waterproof. Uh-huh. That didn't work out so well That for didn't you. work out so well. It might have sounded like I didn't know the cell phone was in my pocket. I knew it was in my pocket, uh-huh. but it was the only way down. I couldn't climb down. When you got up to this cliff, I brought the phone up there to film the kids jumping. Yeah. And then I realized, wait, there's no, I can't get this phone down unless I jump in the water with it. So I did. Yeah. And it didn't last. <laughs> it didn't work. So they're water resistant, not waterproof, jumping from a 30 yes. foot cliff. Little uh, public service announcement there yes. included in our podcast. What do we have for questions? Uh, I have all kinds of questions lined up for us today. I'm going to. That sounded almost Amish. What do we have for questions? Uh, yeah, it did. That's right. <laughs> no, no, they would say, what for well, questions? Well, what for questions, right. If, yeah, that's so. You guys know probably we live in, in an Amish, yep. we don't live in the Amish community. No, they're around us. They're around us. We are not Amish, right. as you know. But uh, yeah, what for questions would be how the Amish yes. would say it. What for questions. Yes, so what for questions. Well, we'll start with one submitted by a listener named Grace, who shared that she's 17 years old. Hi, Grace. Yeah. And 17 years old, mm-hmm. bless you. Glad you listened to our podcast. Yeah, she says she really is enjoying it. Here's her question. She says, the more I hear the two of you talk on marriage and the spousal analogy, the more I desire to marry and have a large family, which has been my only desire all my life. I feel as though if I'm called to be a sister, to partake of the marriage of the Lamb on earth, I'll be missing out on so very much. Can you direct me to any resources on the beauty of theology of the body and how it relates to the celibate life? Grace, I am impressed, number one, that you are really taking these truths in. I can really tell that you have absorbed the basic ideas of theology of the body, just the way you describe marriage and then the way you describe celibacy as a participation in the marriage of the Lamb. Not a lot of 17-year-olds understand those ideas. So you're way ahead of the game there, and I commend you for that. I also commend just the fact that you have this question on your heart, that you want to understand God's plan for celibacy, even though it seems pretty heavy on your heart, a desire for marriage. So what I want to say, first of all, is I think it's really important that whether you're called to marriage or not, that you understand what celibacy is, Mm -hmm. and vice versa. If you're called to celibacy, it's very important that you understand what marriage is. John Paul II speaks of the complementarity of these vocations and how married people need the witness of healthy celibates in order to understand what their marriage is a sacrament of. Mm -hmm. So a sacrament is a sign of something else. And what marriage is a sign of is the eternal union of Christ and the church, the marriage of the Lamb. Grace was making that point in the way she asked her question. So married people need to know from the the faithful witness of those 
Jesus speaks of the, the virgins who have oil for their lamps, right? The wise virgins, the ones who are on fire, and they have their yearning for love and union aimed at the eternal marriage. Married people need the witness of those kind of celibates to know what our marriage is also aiming at, what it's pointing towards. And John Paul II also says that celibate people need the witness of healthy married couples so that the celibate person can understand the spousal nature of their gift of self, Mm. right? There's a reason we call a priest, for example, father. He has married the church and he bears numerous spiritual children. There's a reason we call Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa. She married Christ and she bears numerous spiritual children. We've spoken about this in various other contexts on the podcast, the relationship between these two vocations. So Grace, thank you for articulating that. And to your question, Are there some resources that can help you understand celibacy? And I also want to point out or or talk into what you asked about the, would I be missing out? Uh, How did she say that? Can you read that again? I feel as though if I'm called to be a sister, I'll be missing out on so very much. That's what she said. Okay, so so you feel like if you are called to be a religious sister, you would be missing out on a lot. So let's go to the resources. Yes, there are resources on celibacy for the kingdom in light of the theology of the body. I would urge you, if you haven't already, to read. There's three books of mine, at least, that touch on this with a whole chapter. There's a whole chapter on it in Good News About Sex and Marriage. There's a whole chapter on it in Theology of the Body for Beginners. And then if you want to get into the really more uh, technical explanation of it, I'd point you to my commentary, Theology of the Body Explained. That's the most extensive treatment that I personally have given to celibacy for the kingdom in light of theology of the body. And then on the, the question of are you missing out, if we have an eternal perspective, if we understand, well, actually, before I get, even get into that, I think, Grace, for you, the real question is, what is the vocation you are called to? Because if you are called to marriage, if that's God's plan for your life, then you would be missing out on something if you didn't follow that plan. But if you are called to celibacy, you will lose nothing and gain everything in the eternal perspective. And that's what I wanted to bring to mind. This life we live here, you know, one of the lines in Scripture just says, Teach us, Lord, to number our days. Teach us to understand the the span of our lives, which in the perspective of eternity, it's gone in the snap of the fingers. This life is very, very short. What is our eternal destiny? Our eternal destiny is the marriage of the Lamb. And those who are called by God to live that even now through the celibate vocation by sacrificing the sacrament to participate in the eternal reality, they gain the eternal reality. They, they, and in that perspective, they're gaining everything. Are you missing out? For a flash, you will not experience the sacramental expression of that eternal reality, but you will if you really pursue the celibate vocation as a wise virgin, if your lamp is lit on fire, you lose nothing and gain everything. Hmm. 
I remember being a young woman myself, Grace, and having that sense of, I don't know what the Lord's plan is for my life and how hard it can be sometimes just to wait for that to be apparent. I remember sometimes, you know, saying, Lord, can we just like push fast forward? Just show me what's down the road. I'll, I'll live my life up to that point, but I sure would like to know where what's going to happen with this whole vocation thing. And I didn't get that preview. I didn't know for sure what the Lord had in store for me. I think the most beautiful and rewarding way to prepare for that moment of of decision and responding to the call of the Lord in our life is to continually develop a deeper relationship with Him. Mm-hmm. You know, to learn to be more and more honest about who we are before the Lord and also to seek to know Him better, both in our prayer and through our reading of Scripture, that we become familiar with Him and have a deeper growing trust in Him, a deeper sense of knowing how you and your uniqueness relate with the Lord. All of that can lead your heart to really desire His will more and more naturally, just to trust that He has, you know, spoken to your heart. He has directed you in little ways already, and that the bigger direction about our vocation doesn't have to be an overwhelming question. Every decision we make involves sacrificing others, other things. That's right. There's nobody who marries one person who isn't sacrificing marriage to any other person. Mm -hmm. There's no one who uh, makes vows as a religious who isn't also making sacrifices. But that decision doesn't have to overwhelm us when we have that sense of closeness to the Lord and that He's a familiar, comforting, trustworthy presence in our lives who's leading us each step. And His plan, we can trust. Mm -hmm. His plan is for our greatest good. But I'd say this also, Grace, the desires of our heart are usually a pretty good indication of where the Lord is leading us. So I think, you, as you said, you, for most of your life, have had a great desire to marry and have a lot of kids. That very well may be the indication of what God's plan is for your life. And when I said, you know, if you were called to celibacy for the kingdom, that you would gain everything and lose nothing in light of eternity— It is a sacrifice to give up. John Paul II speaks of the normal and noble call of the human being is to marriage. The normal and noble call of the human being is to marriage, which means to give that up, to sacrifice that for the kingdom, you do lose something. You lose something beautiful, Mm -hmm. but it's offered as a sacrifice for a greater good, a greater beauty. So, Grace, I would encourage you, just as Wendy has to deepen your life of prayer. And what is prayer? I've I've used this definition many times on this podcast, I know, but I'll say it again because we really got to let it sink in. Prayer, the fathers of the church tell us, is nothing other than becoming a longing for God. Becoming a longing for God. Grace, that desire you have for a husband and children will be super abundantly fulfilled in one way or another. Because that is a desire God has put on your heart, not to be ignored, but to be opened to Him. 
the fulfillment of those yearnings for love and for fruitfulness, that's really what they are, have different ways of being lived out, but they all lead to the same place when we embrace God's plan, either for marriage or for a celibate life. They both lead us to the eternal expression of love and fruitfulness, which is the marriage of the Lamb. Mm. Amen. Thank you, Grace, for that question. The next question is from an anonymous. It's hard to say. An anonymous. An anonymous listener. An anonymous. Oh, yeah, that is tricky. (laughs) Where is the line between a husband visually delighting in the beauty of his wife's body and lust? Okay, so yeah, we could take this from various angles. I seem to remember a previous podcast where we addressed a similar question, maybe not in the same kind of direct way. Number one, we are to delight in the beauty of all of God's creation. God looked at everything he made and said, behold, it is very good. And the verb, uh, behold, it is very good, is in Hebrew, it's tov, T-O-V. I know this not because I'm a Hebrew scholar, but because I was just recently making this point in a class and I looked it up. And the word tov means it's good to behold, so behold, it is very, it's good to see. Mm. It's good to, to see the beauty and to receive that beauty and take it in. Mm-hmm. So the, the heaven itself is described as the beatific vision, the vision of goodness, truth, and beauty that delights us eternally. Mm. So it is right and true and good for a husband, of course, to take delight in the beauty of his wife's body. But here when I say body, we have to understand what is meant in theology the body. The body is not just some physical aspect divorced from the whole person, but the body reveals the person. Mm -hmm. So to take delight in your wife's body in the integral sense of that is meant to be to take delight in her whole person. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a good indication of is it really love? Is it a, a delight that is a love of the person, or is it a delight that is just a kind of consumer mentality of, I want to use her body for my pleasure? That's when we get into lust. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every man, every human being, male or female, uh, we all struggle with disordered desires. And the redemption that Christ holds out to us is not an invitation to squash our desires, but to allow our desires and our attractions and our passions to be healed, to be restored, to be transformed, to be experienced as God intended them in the beginning. Not that we can ever do that perfectly in this life, but if we go on a journey and we allow the Lord into our desires, we can step-by-step experience real inner transformation. As St. Paul says, the power that is at work in us through the gift of redemption is able to do far more than we think or imagine. And I'll share a story. Just the other day, somebody sent me this link to this guy maybe a year ago. said, hey, you should check this guy out. He's, from a secular perspective, doing some similar work to what you do. And it is very secular. I just say that as a caveat so you know where this guy's coming from. But he and his, his wife do a podcast, and the podcast is called something like How to Date Your Wife or Date Your Wife or something. And the idea is like keeping your marriage fresh. Keep, you know, mm-hmm. And that's all fine and good and wonderful. 
but they had this question. I listened to a uh, short episode of their podcast, and they had this question about sexual desires and how to respond to them. And sometimes my husband just wants a quickie, and should I do that for him? And and it was very interesting to listen to the way the woman in particular responded to the question. She was like, yeah, wives, give your husband what he wants because then you'll be able to get what you want from him kind of a thing. And mm. it, 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 I've been thinking on this for the last couple of days since I listened to that. And, and here's my take. It's like from within the fallen paradigm of our disordered desires and passions, they are coming up with coping mechanisms for how to kind of try to make it work within that paradigm of our disordered passions. And he was like, yeah, I have a, my, my wife allows me whenever I have the passion, especially when I've been away for a few days, just to get the quickie. And to me, I, I felt like, whoa, 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 where, where is the meeting of their persons? Where is the, there was something kind of animalistic about mm-hmm. it. There was something kind of physicalistic about it. There was something that seemed not to call us higher, not to say, not to say, look, there's another way to see and think and feel and experience our sexual desires that honors the whole mystery of what a man and a woman are as persons. It left me kind of sad, left me kind of cold, left me kind of, gosh, um, well, it left me sad Mm -hmm. uh, and grateful for having discovered this teaching of John Paul II that is very challenging, but it's challenging in a way that calls us to something higher. Mm -hmm. Uh, So many people out there, I can imagine listening even to the very question that this anonymous listener submitted, what's the difference between delighting in the beauty of your wife and and just treating her with lust? And like, well, what's wrong with lusting after your wife? I mean, that's the way a lot of people think. Mm -hmm. And maybe they don't understand the, the word lust in the way Catholics understand the word lust, but... Just to clarify, when we're talking about lust, we're talking about a disorder of sexual passion that treats the other person not as a person to be loved, but as a thing to be used. What What are your thoughts on this, love? Yeah, I, thank you. I definitely can imagine that this question could be asked by a woman, either a married woman or even a single woman thinking ahead and thinking about the feminine longing to be beautiful, longing to be seen as beautiful, and questioning whether is that, you know, all in the realm of sort of our fallenness. And I, I think, you know, our experience and experience of many others and teaching of the church would all confirm that there is a right and holy desire yes. to be seen to be beheld, as it you quoted that from Genesis, yep. behold, and, and they were naked. And that's right there in that you know, chapter of and Genesis. And John Paul II says, nakedness without shame demonstrates that they experienced God's vision for the body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They saw rightly that integral beauty of the whole person. They saw one another with what John Paul II calls the peace of the interior gaze a look that doesn't just stop at the body, but allows the body to lead to the inner mystery. Yes, thank you. That's probably the key to it all, is that if we're concerned that we, as women, that we have to meet a standard of beauty that's been held out to us by the culture in order to 
be a delight to our husbands, then that can cause us a great insecurity and anxiety and maybe a temptation to just say, well, that's all sinful anyway, rather than a deeper integration where we can realize the beauty of my body is meant to express and does express the beauty that God placed in my whole being. And I do want that to delight my husband. And that's a source of joy and fulfillment. So I think that from a woman's perspective, I can, I can relate to that. There's a couple things I want to add here that you and I have been on quite a journey in this regard because I had been pretty darn warped by the culture that I grew up in in the 70s and 80s and had taken in certain ideas about what a woman's body is supposed to look like from you know, just growing up in this culture. And there's been a a journey of needing to find integration in my own humanity in order to see you and delight in you rightly. If we don't seek that integration, we can end up in two opposite errors. One is to think the body alone is what defines beauty. And the other is to think, the spirit or the soul alone is what defines beauty. Mm-hmm. It's the integration of body and soul that is what makes the human being beautiful. And so John Paul II says he walks this, this line very with great nuance and great insight and clarity saying we're not, he, he says the husband is obligated to desire his wife's beauty And that this beauty he's obligated to desire is an integral beauty of body and soul. Soul and body, not just the body, not just the soul, but an integral beauty. And he says, deep in the heart of the husband, there is this longing for the integral beauty of his wife. And he draws this right out of Ephesians 5, right out of the heart of Christ, where St. Paul reveals the heart of Christ that Christ gave himself up for his bride so that she might be all beautiful, Mm. that she might be radiantly beautiful. And of course, that radiantly beautiful bride is fulfilled, is personified in Mary. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everyone, every visionary who's ever seen Mary, be it uh, Bernadette or the children in Fatima, Everyone who's ever reported seeing Mary says she is the most beautiful creature mm-hmm. they've, they've ever seen. It's a spiritual beauty revealed through her body. Mm-hmm. So the goal here is integration. And speaking, we can speak as a couple, knowing the integration that we've both had to journey into and still need to journey into and still need to look at our hearts and where we might not be integrated and here we are aging and that brings in mm-hmm. new elements and new questions and new recognition for healing. And where do we put our hope? Do we put our hope in oil of Olay and exercising in, in kind of a frantic attempt not to age or something? Or do we put our hope in the resurrection of our bodies, that, which if we put our hope there, will, will allow us to age gracefully and, and love one another all the more when we're really old and wrinkly, right? (laughs) And that's on our horizon. We're getting older and Mm -hmm. wrinklier and grayer. Uh, You know, we're not 
that old yet. You know, mm-hmm. older people in their 70s and 80s would say we're still young. But, um, you know, pushing our 50s here, we, uh, we feel that. And so the call is to integral beauty mm-hmm. and to delight in integral beauty. When we limit it to the body, there's a disintegration. Also, when we limit it to the soul, there's a disintegration mm-hmm. on the flip side. Mm-hmm. So I hope that's some food for thought for that person who submitted that question. Here's a question from Caleb. He says, if God wants to marry us and baptism is the way to enter the marriage, then can we think of our relationship with God as a marriage? Can we think of our relationship with God as a marriage? Absolutely. It's not the only way to think of our relationship with God, but it is the image that the Bible uses far more than any other image to help us understand the way God loves us. And here, even, you know, another obviously primary image is the image of the father and the child, right? God the Father, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These two images are intertwined and interrelated. But if we were, if we were to speak of a, a primacy, John Paul II himself says the, the father-child image has a primacy because God is revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the, the marital relationship the marital imagery of scripture is used far more even than that imagery because, and here's my, it's my own personal take on it. My, my attempt to kind of hold these two very important images together. How do we become a child of God, the father? We get grafted into that relationship through our marriage to Christ. We become one with Christ, which makes us as Various theologians have said throughout the centuries, goes back to the fathers of the church, we become a son in the son. You know, obviously that would mean also a daughter in the son. We become sons in the son. We become so grafted into Christ, and that's where the marital image comes. Mm. We become one with him. We become one body with him to the point that we become also, because we are grafted to Christ in that marital reality, that mystical marriage, because we're married to him, we can say we are sons and daughters of the father. That in my mind makes a lot of sense. Can we? Absolutely we can, Caleb. Uh, And yes, you are absolutely right to say that baptism is the entryway. The catechism says that baptism is a nuptial mystery, right? It brings us into this nuptial relationship And that nuptial relationship is for everyone, male and female. So the nuptial relationship in turn takes us into the relationship as a son in the son or a daughter in the son that then allows us to be in that filial relationship with the father. Mm -hmm. So yes, Caleb, we're all called to enter that spousal dimension in order to get to the filial dimension. I like how in all of those relationships we're talking about a deep bond, we're talking about a form of unity, we're talking about incredible closeness, safety, just all those things that our hearts deeply long for. Yes, yes. And uh, yeah, to go back to our baptism and give thanks for how that has been just given to us without our earning it in any way by God's graciousness is awesome. And another angle on baptism is that baptism is the sacrament of regeneration. Mm-hmm. 
Right? So in being regenerated and being born again, we have God as our Father. So the spousal reality and the filial reality, the father-child reality, are all intimately related and even intertwined in these beautiful ways. So Caleb, I hope that shines a little bit of light. Thank you everybody for being part of this episode with us. We would love it if you would leave a review, if this has blessed you, if our podcast is helping you, your reviews help us to get the message out further and wider. If this episode has also helped you, we encourage you to hit that share button on your screen so that this episode could reach somebody else who could be blessed by it. We'd also love for you to submit a question. You can go to askchristopherwest.com to submit your questions. And we cannot do this work if we do not have patrons like you who see the value of what we're doing and are willing to support us. If you would be willing to come to become a patron, even at $5 a month, that goes a long way. And if you click on the link in the show notes to learn more about becoming a patron, we have lots of goodies and exclusive benefits that we offer our patrons where you get ongoing formation in this theology of the body. You become part of our online community where I chime on, chime in on a regular basis with new exclusive videos just for our community members. Thank you, everybody, for being part of this. We can't do it without you. We look forward to being with you again next week. Thank you. God bless. Ask Christopher West comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. Christopher and Wendy hope the information presented is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, you can find a list of trusted counselors and psychologists in the show notes. What for questions?